Hi, everybody. Before today's episode of Educator Escape, I want to introduce myself. My name is Tyler Douthat. Hope you're having a great day walking the dog, on the treadmill, on your way to work, making breakfast, because that's how people listen to podcasts. My company, TFD Supplies, provides earbuds and headphones at a great, incredible value. Earbuds for 55 cents each. Uh, we use all the curriculum, testing, library, sell them in your school store for a dollar, make money along the way. Uh, we got them in 12 colors, hundreds of thousands in stock, free priority shipping anywhere in the country. So if Seth has provided any value for you, and I'm pretty sure he has, he's doing a good job on Educator Escape, I would love it. It would mean the world to me, the world, if you would consider my company, TFD Supplies, the next time your school needs earbuds or headphones. Visit tfdsupplies.com and we are happy to accept school purchase orders. And here is today's episode. Welcome to the Educators Cape Podcast. My name is Seth Tripp, and today is Wednesday, August 8th, 2018. Thank you for listening in. I hope your week's going well, whether you're teaching in the classroom, getting your classroom ready, or enjoying the last days of summer. I hope it's been a great start to your week. Before we get started, I wanted to thank Tyler Douthat for his support with the podcast. He makes all of this possible, so thank you so much, Tyler. On Friday, I finished up my conversation with Joe Stenson. Go check out his powerful message from that episode on educatorscape.com. Yesterday on educatorscape.com, I posted my blog about how staying in a child's mindset can really help us as teachers, so go check that out. If you'd like to check out more content, including past blogs and podcast episodes, go check it out on educatorscape.com. You can also find past podcast episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, and on Spotify. You can follow us on social media by liking our Facebook page at Educator Escape or following us on Instagram and Twitter at Educator Escape. On today's podcast, I talk with first grade teacher from Johnston City, Illinois, Erin Moncino. Erin talks to us about dealing with and teaching her students about her diabetes, how they are becoming a trauma-informed school, and how her grandfather inspired her to be a teacher. Here's my interview with Erin Moncino. go to high school? I went to Heron High School, which is where I currently live. I graduated in 2003. How do you pronounce those waxy pointy things that you color with? <laughs> crayon. That's a crayon. Crayon. Okay. Yes, it is not a crown. A crown goes on your head. A crayon <laughs> you draw and color with. <laughs> you and I are the same page. My wife, yes. my wife is, is crown. My wife is crown. Really? Yes. Yeah. No. All right. This is kind of a weird one, so just bear with me. You have to use, might have to use your imagination a little bit. So you've been given an elephant. You can't give it away or sell it. What would you do with the elephant? That is interesting. Can't give it away and you can't sell it. I I think I'm just such like a 
animal lover, for example, my cats are pretty much my other children. <laughs> so I would just treat it like my baby and love on it. And I guess he would have to live outside. Yeah, just love on him and pet him and play ball. And, you know, <laughs> just kind of take care of him. What do you do to get rid of stress? Well, I, I recently had a child. I have a one-year-old now. So a lot of times just spending time with her, the stress reliever, I kind of previously said I have cats too. So spending time with my cats, my husband, my family, we just like to take walks. We like to take Lily to the park. Really, since I commute a little bit too, just that drive home is such a good decompressor for me okay. to leave all of the stress from the classroom. I just kind of air out everything that happened over the day process it so it can go out and then of course you know you have to watch junkie reality tv you know <laughs> real housewives of everywhere if it's on bravo i'm watching it and that just makes all the stress go away okay i'm just curious when you say air it out on the way home does that mean that you're like belting something in the car on the way home Ooh, yeah actually i'm a huge hamilton nerd okay like huge Hamilton nerd can mostly if I can wrap it quick enough <laughs> I I do all the words so yeah that does kind of help now that you think of it because that's such an emotional heavy musical mm -hmm. yeah that does help I actually I dropped Lily off at daycare just a little bit ago and of course I was singing it so yeah definitely that does help okay I'm on the same wavelength. I gotta do it. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta belt it out. A little deeper question is, who had the biggest impact? Not on who you are as a teacher, but who you have become as a person. Oh gosh, that's good. I mean, they really are the same person, though. So is that okay. fine? That's Did fun. I go there? Yeah, you can go there. In a general speaking, really, just a lot of my family. Okay. Specifically, a little bit with my grandpa, which I'll go into detail about. Just, I grew up where my mom worked. She's a respiratory therapist. My dad worked in a factory, which was just a block away. So, being the child of both parents that are working all of the time really kind of put that work ethic into me and knowing that you don't miss work, you do the best you can, you try to rise above in your profession the best you can um, and really just in life too so I would say that you know that's kind of always been one of my strong suits um, so yeah definitely family okay very cool for the teaching aspect of of your life tell me about your journey when you decided that you were going to be involved in education and be a teacher until right now I really always knew that I just could relate well with others. So that was in me from the beginning. I always loved learning, especially during the summertime. Like I was always obsessed with keeping my skills pretty sharp. I remember being like a second grader and going through state capitals and doing my puzzle with all of the placement of the states, going through multiplication a little later. So it was just that constant love of learning that was always happening with me. Mm -hmm. And then about mid-high school, I 
took on my first job of teaching dance and gymnastics because I was always a kid that was involved in dance and such. And so I knew from then on, too, it was a strength of mine just working with kids, um, relating with kids. It seemed like I kind of found an easy way to build relationships, even though it was a once-a-week dance class, once-a-week gymnastics class. Mm-hmm. So I just kept on, you know, I would pick up more lessons and I just finally got to the end of my high school path where I thought, okay, maybe this is what I am meant to do. So I went on to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. I graduated cum laude. I student taught in a community in Southern Illinois, Murfreesboro, Illinois, student taught kindergarten. The cooperating teacher I had was fabulous. From there, I picked up a job in my hometown as a Title I math aide for two years, and then that led me on to my current job now of teaching in a nearby community of Johnston City, Illinois. I've taught kindergarten, fifth grade, and then for the most of my teaching, I've been in first grade. Okay. Is that your favorite grade to teach? Yeah, definitely. I think first grade's so cool just because they're young enough that they still love school. They really want to please the teacher. They show just the biggest growth, I think, in their learning and development. It, it's it's nice because it's not quite kindergarten, you know, where right. they come into kindergarten and that first chunk, you're just learning how to be in school. So first grade, you've got them pretty trained, and you're developing into, okay, now this is how we learn in school. And I just love reading, and I love teaching reading. So when you see, like, the kids that finally get how to read and really become fluent, it's so cool. So, yeah, first is definitely my forte. It's what I do best. Very cool. I have taught high school, and my favorite grade is sophomores for that same reason, because... Freshmen still don't know what's going on, but sophomores are kind of like, okay, now I gotta buckle down and do this, and they got a, a little bit more of an eye towards the future and stuff. So, tell me about your classroom. I'm gonna. You already told me kind of what you enjoy about teaching in the first grade, but like, what sort of activities do you do that you feel like really connect to? those students and how do you connect with them personally it really starts off i think before even school starts so i work registration and then once we get our list i make phone calls out to the parents just because i think we're in a culture now where some parents are almost teaching the children of uh, school where I want to retrain the parents, and also I want them to feel comfortable with me because essentially their child is with me more than they are with them Right. at times. So that kind of puts a little bit of spark in their mind of this is okay. Maybe it is fine that I promote school's a great place to be. From there, I send out little postcards that just, you know, are personalized. I can't wait to meet you. I saw at registration you have on a pink shirt. I love pink, too. So it makes them feel a little bit like I was identified. You know, I feel important. Do you keep keep all that in your head or do you write it all down? I mostly kind of do keep it in my head. Something, you know, a lot of times we're a smaller community. So I somewhat know the kids anyway. Okay. You know, that are coming in for the most part, just in passing in the hall. I do try to drop in in the kindergarten classrooms, too, just to say, ooh, I'm looking for 
some really great friends to join me next year. I can't wait to see you soon. So they already established who I am as well. Okay. And just their excitement when they walk into my classroom because it's like, you wrote me a letter. We talked on the phone. And so it's like we've already established a little bit of a working relationship there. And then as far as, you know, really getting to know them, I do carpet time, which, you know, is more your traditional elementary time. But that's my time to really just take a break from the strict teaching and the curriculum and to make it more conversational, you know, review what did you do this weekend, shake hands with your friend, tell them good morning. I pick a student of the week, and so we go through interview questions. So that really helps me identify, you know, too, of what's the home like, like, you know, what are they interested in outside of school? And then I get to meet more individually with them during the day, during guided reading, which mm-hmm. is like a smaller group reading. And also when I meet individually with them during writing conferences, too. So you learn about a lot about the kids when you see what they're writing, what their narrative prompt is or when we're discussing a smaller story and I try to have them make connections to their life so then that helps me pick up on them and say you know what I have a cat too does your cat like to eat you know tuna or drink milk or something and they'll say yeah they do that so it just gives them a way to kind of establish a relationship with you and I've always found that if you can have a kid buy into what you're selling they will do anything for you. They will work so hard for you, but you've got to have that sincere, honest connection with them. Right. You were telling me that your students know about your type one diabetes and that your students yeah. are in, in, always informed about that. What do you What do you mean by yeah. that? It's pretty funny. So you know, you can't really hide sometimes when you have something going on, and a lot of times with type one diabetes, you could see it not only in my personality change and on my physical appearance but you know there's always a need to go test my blood sugar well Mm -hmm. the thought of blood with kids you know is a crazy hot topic (laughs) so it's like I could hide it and leave them curious or I can make it an open conversation and so again that's kind of a way that I let them know I'm different just like you're different And so usually in the beginning of the year, they pick up really fast on, I wear an insulin pump on my hip, and then I wear a continuous glucose monitor on my arm. And so they see the little machines that are attached to me, and they always say, what is that? And I jokingly at first say, well, I'm a robot. That's (laughs) what that is. And they look like, are you kidding me? And so I have a book that I always try to read called Taking Diabetes to School. And it's about a child with diabetes. They don't really have a teacher version. So it just kind of explains to them that, you know, sometimes Mrs. Moncino's blood sugar, that's kind of how much sugar is in our blood. It gets a little bit low. And I don't feel very good, just like you don't feel very good sometimes either. So sometimes I may have to drink a juice in front of you. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to show off that I get to have a juice or a candy, but sometimes I have to do it to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. I say, you know, they don't get this joke, but I always say that my blood sugar meter is called Edward, just like the Twilight movies, because he loves to take oh, my blood. Oh, yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so they, they love watching the little blood get sucked up into the machine and the number, and then 
my pump will beep and my arm monitor thing will beep and so it's it's hard to hide that from kids anyway so you might as well show them and you know so time to time did well i'm teaching because you're up doing go noodle brain breaks and you're dancing with them and then i do start to feel like my blood sugar slows so i'll make it a teachable moment guys remember how we talked i feel sick sometimes this is one of those times so i'm just gonna go drink a juice but we're still okay things are fine one time i actually had a little one who you know it's like kids get most of the information right but sometimes they don't and so she said you know, how is your blood pressure feeling? <laughs> and I said, my blood pressure is great, but my blood sugar is a little low right now. But you'd be surprised how many parents then talk to me about it at parent-teacher conferences mm-hmm. saying, you know, they really know about that. We talk about it, and they're concerned. And yeah, So, yeah, it's just an open dialogue that we have, but we make the best of it. And even in the past years I've had, children in my class with diabetes too right so i they tend to kind of put those kids in my class just because i'm i know how to work the machines i know what to do in an emergency and so it's really kind of also a really great bond to form with the child who's just like you too very cool have you thought about your openness about that maybe might inspire a kid to be a nurse or something of that nature someday because they they did that in your classroom yeah definitely that you know i hadn't thought of that but that could very likely be it's kind of cool because you you see these kids future at the same time but i never think that i'm part of those reasons so yeah maybe i am i remember a lot about my early grade teachers and things that they spoke into me and i feel like it affected like the rest of my view of myself yes in education yeah, yeah. so it's like that oh sorry it's no, like that really it. great quote where you know they say they'll never forget what you said to them or taught them but you'll never forget the way they make you feel right something along those lines you'll forget what they taught you but you'll never forget the way that they made you feel and i think that's really important too definitely you're a part of a couple committees at, at school and such, and the word committee to me is 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 a boring word in all right. in all honesty. I'm sure that there's a, we could find a better term for that than like I don't know right. school improvement party or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Why did y'all see the need to add the trauma informed part of? of your school what is the did you see a need in the community that came from that yeah there's definitely a need basically what happened in our region there was a grant put out by a collection of universities some doctors counselors social workers etc basically for the neediest communities in southern illinois so you're looking at rural, low-income, high ACEs scores, which ACEs are adverse childhood experiences. Okay. And basically what this trauma-informed schools grant is for is to inform teachers, staff, really every school personnel member of this new theory and practices built around why children have ACEs 
and how to become more trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive. Mm-hmm. I think the statistic now is that the CDC reports greater than 50% of the students in your classroom have at least one ACE. That's the adverse childhood experiences. So that can right. be like have been exposed to abuse, neglect, addiction, divorce, even having their own hospitalizations, jail time for a family member, etc. So basically what doctors are finding out is that during infancy and childhood that the mapping of the brain is being significantly hindered because of these trauma-like experiences. Mm -hmm. So there's not full development happening. There's not connections being made between pathways. So that's really affecting the chemical balance and the physical balance and how children behave. And so there was this really great quote that I saw that said, the emotional backpack that your student carries can't be left outside your classroom door. Mm -hmm. If they have all of that experience and memories happening, they can't function in a normal classroom, which we know that. These kids that have ACEs really have severe aggression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. defiance, hyperactivity, withdrawal which they're finding really parallels ADD, ADHD, ODD, autism. And so instead of medicating for a quick fix, Mm -hmm. we want to really work in the counseling aspect. And so what they're finding is that you can retrain the brain, you can open up those pathways, but it takes a lot of work. And Mm -hmm. that's essentially the better way to do it rather than medicating. So basically these kids that we see, they don't have executive functioning. They don't know how to self-regulate. They're just constantly on the fight or flight because that's the only thing they've ever known. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to help establish relationships and help them see that they have a safe support system with an adult that can be their co-regulator, help them really understand for themselves and as the teacher, what is the function of the behavior rather than punishing the behavior Gotcha. and help them learn the coping skills. It's definitely an area that is really, really prevalent in our area. I was, like I said, I was raised in the South during the time in which everybody giving their kid Ritalin and, yeah. and sending them off to school and I was one of those kids and I never thought that I had I mean I grew up in a pastor's house and my dad's a great guy and my mom's a great guy great guy, great woman <laughs> great female person Yeah. but when I, I hear about all these strategies I'm like well why, why does it take so long for us to figure yeah. that out because I right. just remember taking pills and just feeling like a shell of the person that I that yes. I was. Do you see that a lot in your classroom and how do you if you see a student like that how do you sort of respond to the student not the student that's been medicated but the student that you notice that there's a need what's like the first steps to doing that? Again, you really have to build a trust foundation first. You have to help them understand that you are their safe place. You're, you know, it's not that they're dependent on you for survival because that's really the parent's role, mm-hmm. but they're dependent on you for knowing I can come to you, I can figure it out, 
and then I can know the ways to calm myself down so I can be a problem solver and I can learn how to cope. So building the trust first is essential. Mm-hmm. At that same time, you kind of learn what helps them, I guess, really say, like, kind of switch whatever that trigger is, whatever mm-hmm. that function is. So say that it's always a kid that is poking on them, you know, hands on bodies. And instead of going over and whacking that kid and taking them out, come over. Let's figure out a way to get out your physical frustration mm-hmm. first so that maybe some kind of manipulative, some kind of sensory tool and anything that can calm them down and then really just reiterate like the phrasing that they need to then self-regulate, you know, saying I'm okay. I will be resilient to this behavior. I will tell that other student that I, you know, do not think that's appropriate. Please leave me alone rather than just again, that fight or flight instinct of just take care of it. How much of that do you think has to go in the, the setting that, that these students live in? So like, they, they're, it's a low-income and rural community. I've I've taught in mostly low-income and rural communities, and they have unique challenges just like mm-hmm. any other school district does. And I've taught inner city, and there's a lot of actually similarities between the two that I think mm-hmm. people would be surprised about. So what sort of challenges do your s- students face on the day-to-day, and how do you work with those issues as a part of those challenges you know again being low income we have a really high free and reduced lunch population i know even one of our neighboring towns theirs is so high that every student in the school gets a free lunch regardless yeah we don't have that i know we are close though on those numbers that's really hard and so we've got luckily a great non-for-profit organization in our area which is called gumdrops which mm-hmm. each week they send home bags of the non-perishable foods that can go to students who qualify for it. I have a little bit of mixed reviews sometimes, though, in that you do hear occasionally parents that are selling their gumdrop food for substances or eating all of the food rather than it going to the children. So there are times, you know, that we will sneak in extra food and we'll say, here's some cheese and crackers. That is for you. I want you to eat that on the bus. Okay. You know, giving them specific scenarios. I also try every morning, just even if they have breakfast in my classroom, I'll say, would anybody like some animal crackers? Please raise your hand. Just because, again, if that basic need's not met, they're not going to be able to function in a classroom. Right. So that's a little bit with that area. We also have a really high transient rate of students. Mm Mm-hmm. I think because we have one of the lower rent of housing in our community. So we have a lot of students that come in, go out, and then a lot of times are back in with us. So again, we just try to make the best. You know, we really try to pair them with the same teacher that they'd seen before, somebody that can really relate maybe to what we've picked up on in the home life with that Mm -hmm. student. We have a lot of truancy as well. So one thing that we've added this past year that really helped with the truancy is the Class Dojo app. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically, yeah, safe way to text message parents without them having your personal phone number. 
Right. So it's always giving them reminders because we found, you know, you send them a note, it's never read. But if you send that parent a text message, it's read <laughs> instantly. Right. And so, you know, it's like, reminder, please be at school tomorrow, 8 o'clock. We're going to be doing these activities for the week. We'll have an early dismissal. Things like that that have really helped. Not only that, but I really like to post a lot of class stories and class videos on there. Because, again, that's instant gratification and instant just feeling of security when you see that your child is somewhere safe, having fun, engaged in learning. We do that. I know our district is, again, part of the trauma-informed schools training brought in counseling over the summer okay. for the students. So that, that was nice. And I know that they were looking at adding some parenting classes. Hopefully that helps. You know, a lot of a lot of really of our population, the children are also being raised by grandparents and mm-hmm. in some scenarios, great grandparents. So a lot of them say, I don't know what I'm doing. I've not raised a child for 20 to 30 years. And in this day and age, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So that's really been beneficial. I know that they were looking at really pushing that this year as a way to help our truancy rate as well. I look at, too, um, are you familiar with the Ruby Payne framework for understanding poverty? I, I know the na- I know the name. I've heard of it. I haven't done any training or anything on it. Yeah, we've, we've had, like, light trainings. I really want to go to a really in-depth one. But what helps is if you understand the place where not only the kids come from, but the parent or the adult who's raising them, mm-hmm. it helps give you a better idea of, again, how to reach them, how to relate to them, because a lot of what we find is some of those lower-income households, they're not looking at escaping their status, you know, their socioeconomic status, looking at just an escape of the stress instead. Okay. So it's like almost a cycle. Okay. So you have all of these things that you're dealing with as a teacher and... You sort of had a guiding point to sort of point you in that direction in education, not probably not fully knowing all the things that were to come because education, of course, has evolved over the years. But can you tell right. me about your inspiration in getting into education, your grandfather, and yeah. uh, what about who he is made you want to be in education yeah definitely i hope i don't get emotional during this part because this is very he you know everybody says that that's your hero and i i had a great father but my grandpa was really just the male hero in my life and you know he was a teacher uh-huh. he was also a principal and he was in a district that's about an hour and a half away from where I grew up, and he also retired when I was born. So I never really got to chance him as a teacher, but I heard so many other people just in passing tell me about what kind of teacher he was, what kind of person he was. You know, little things. I remember going to the library with him, always learning with him. You know, he always had something to teach me, whether it was school-related or life-related, and just people chiming in like I said you know I'd meet a stranger at a library and here I am a third grade kid and they're telling me how great he was 
So that always was something that made me really proud, almost in a bragging way. I remember mm. with my friends and saying, well, my grandpa is a teacher. My grandpa is a principal. And so I think that's where I've really gained respect for the profession. You know, it's almost sad, I think, anymore because we've lost that respect for the mm -hmm. profession. Not so much us, but just society. Right. So that always made me just really proud. Again, he was a promoter of lifelong learning. And sort of in my later years, especially in college, when I was in college, we really talked about teaching as a profession. And something I had learned, which to this day just makes me so emotional, you know, he got his teaching degree from the GI Bill um, mm -hmm. in the 50s from being a war veteran. Right. And at that time, men were not going to college, especially to get a degree, you know, to go into teaching nonetheless. And his certificate is actually elementary. You know, at that time, men were going to work in factories. So I just always thought that was pretty cool. And then, you know, becoming a principal administrator, you have to have a master's. Right. So he started, you know, telling me about how, I believe it was around 1953, 1954, in order to get his master's and still provide for my grandma, he stayed in a tent at uh, around SEMO which is Southeastern Missouri University. Uh -huh. And he lived in a tent during that summer. To, so it wouldn't take away from my grandma, who was, you know, more than two hours away uh -huh. at that time. Um, and he could still provide her livelihood while making himself a better teacher. And so I just thought that was so cool and uh -huh. so humbling. I can't imagine doing that to this day, you know. I don't even like to camp at Current River for fun, <laughs> so I can't imagine that, but he and a colleague of his did that at that time in the 50s, you know, can you imagine no air conditioning and, you know, a lot of the tools that you would need, so he earned his master's degree then, something that when he passed on that I thought was really cool, I found his first certificate mm -hmm. and his first contract and so I just jotted down some information about it because I thought oh my gosh times have changed mm -hmm. it was from 1954 and his contract was an agreement upon eight months of teaching for $270 a month oh my isn't that wild that is Can wild you imagine you know i know inflation i know times were different but gosh that's so different now in the i just think it's cool too because i found it in this envelope and he had beautiful handwriting and it says labeled my first contract and my te my first teaching certificate and so it was kind of like something he treasured in a way to have that sealed labeled that he even kept something like that. So when we were kind of going through things after he passed, I said to my mom, that's really important that I have that. Do you mind? And she said, no, you know, take it, absolutely. So I have that along with, he had written me a letter when I had graduated from SIU. He had passed away just about a, maybe two years after that. So he really didn't get to know the teacher I am now, especially. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're a teacher in the very beginning, you're not the teacher that you are later in life. 
So it's, you know, it's a little bit detailed of other things, but nonetheless, it just says how proud he was. He knew I would be a great teacher and that he loved me and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. I have that same penmanship from the card put onto a bracelet so I could wear it with me. So I wear it with me just about every day, especially when I'm in the classroom that has Mm -hmm. that same message. And I try to think to myself, sometimes when I get overwhelmed with stress or you've got the kid that's just driving you crazy for the day, I try to just look at that bracelet, rub that bracelet, and know, okay, he knows I'm a great teacher. I am a great teacher. We can handle this. So, sorry I'm like a little no, emotional, but yeah. I'm going to be emotional. I know. It's, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's, no, that's a great that's a great. I know it's not just a story, but yeah. it's it's a life. But it's a it's a great story to like a lot of people. I think they kind of go through life and they they don't know why they're doing the things that they do. Like this is just something that sort of happened to me. But mm-hmm. somebody somebody came into your life and was and was inspirational. I I did I did go in and really quick do an inflation calculator. Yeah. It's like twenty thousand dollars a year. It would be twenty thousand dollars today for wow to, to, yeah. to teach. Yeah, That's so crazy. That is crazy. And then and, to s- sleep in a tent. Yeah. For mm-hmm. for so long, and right. that is I don't. It's just it's it humbling. Just, it is. It's it's very <laughs> hum- look. I feel I feel almost bad. I feel bad. Right. That that right. I that I. You know, I went. I stayed in an air-conditioned dorm, and I get upset if I don't make a certain amount of money when I'm teaching. Exactly. And and you know, you had people like it sounds like your grandfather who just did it for the love, and right, and mm-hmm. nothing else mattered. So right, that's yeah, that's awesome. It's just yeah, I think it attributes to his character, who he was. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I hope. You know, that, you know, they say that they're with you, they're still watching. I really feel like cool, fun experiences I bring to the classroom. I always think he's here. You know, he would think that was pretty cool. Thank you, Aaron, for talking with me. I will try to strive and be an educator just like your grandfather. His story is amazing. I hope your school year goes well and we get to talk again soon. If you would like to listen to more episodes of the podcast, you can do so on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, and on Spotify, as well as on Educatorscape.com. You can go like our page on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter to keep updated with the podcast and any blog posts. On that note, go check out yesterday's blog post on Educatorscape.com. I look forward to you listening in on Friday. Enjoy the second half of your week, and I will see you on Friday.